0: Hello and welcome to episode 269 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Thank you for joining me today for this show that lasts almost as long as a mighty League United FA Cup run. I guess this year, once again, it's time to concentrate on the league. A big thanks to Hayes from Podcast You Wrote for the research and writing of this week's show. Thank you, Hayes. As children, we do as our parents say, as they are trusted to protect us and help us learn about the world. Many of us were used to being told to do as your mother says, do as your father says. But what if your parents ask you to do something that is wrong, that's criminal? And if you're caught, can you rely on them to defend you? Where do family loyalties really lie? In today's story from Staffordshire, we will explore all of these issues. But before we start, I would like to thank all my supporters on Patreon, but especially the new members of this exclusive club. That is Rachel Pagden, Esther R. Edwards, Catherine Fairfield, Diane Crawford and Gillian Ison. Thank you all so much for your support, which is much appreciated. This episode is brought to you by All Plants Chef Made Plant-Based Meals. I'm super excited to be talking about All Plants as I'm a real fan and I'm like a little child at Christmas when the box arrives. I've been vegan for a few years now, but whatever food you like to eat, there is nothing better than receiving delicious, chef-made healthy meals direct to your door, right? And All Plants makes it so easy to eat their great food, which can be heated in just six minutes. So however busy you are, you'll have time to make this food. And if you ever think your choices are limited by plant-based eating, sure, that might be the case at your local petrol station. But not here, as All Plants has an ever-growing menu of over 50 meals, not to mention breakfasts, desserts, sides and smoothies which makes plant-based eating exciting whether you're a full-time vegan a meat-free mondayer or you just want to get a few more plants in your diet go on give it a go the bottom line for me is it's beautiful food i love it try it now and get 10 pounds off your first two orders that's saving you 20 pounds with the code truecrime20 at allplants.com that's truecrime20 at allplants.com. Okay, so let's quickly set the context for today's story with our multi-award winning guest the month in year game. Top of the UK and US charts was Rhiannon featuring Jay-Z with Umbrella. In Australia, top of the album charts is a real classic that I'm sure we all have in our collection. Yep, you guessed it. Dream days at the hotel existence from Powderfinger. In the news this month from Australia, in Newcastle, New South Wales, it was hit by the state's worst storms and flooding in 30 years, resulting in the death of nine people and the grounding of the trade ship, the MV Pasha Bolka. Remember that? Kukordi's finest, not jockey Wilson the other one, Gordon Brown, became Prime Minister. And in UK True Crime News, two bombs were found near Piccadilly Circus in London and a terrorist attack occurred at Glasgow Airport where a car drove at the entrance. There were no civilian fatalities, but the perpetrator of the attack was seriously injured. Did you guess the month and year? It was June 2007. This week's case takes us to the village of Alton in Staffordshire. Although Alton is mostly known for the popular theme park, Alton Towers, the village itself is another of those rather sleepy little places where very little happens, a bit like page two of Google. However, in June 2007, a series of events occurred that rocked this close community. Gregory Baker was a well-known and liked figure in the village of Alton. He had suffered from polio as a child and later developed muscular dystrophy, which had left him physically disabled as an adult and mostly housebound. Despite Greg's physical limitations, he tried to remain active within his local church and other village events. He'd inherited his home in Gallows Green Alton from his mum and made a reasonable income through tutoring maths to local teenagers, which meant he was able to live comfortably with the assistance of carers from a local agency. In 2005, Greg was introduced to a new carer, 42 year old mother of three, Thelma Yvonne Purchase Thelma lived in a suburb of Stoke-on-Trent about 10 miles away with her partner, Kelvin Amos Kelvin had met Thelma, who he knew by her middle name Yvonne through the local school as they were both single parents to teenage boys around the same age After they started dating, they decided that as Thelma spent most of her time at Kelvin's house, she should move in to save him spending money on the upkeep of two properties. As you can guess, things went well at first that honeymoon period, and Kelvin was supportive of his parents' role caring for Greg, especially when Thelma's son Lance was offered additional maths lessons. Kelvin would later say of this time, I just thought she was his carer. She would go over and he was teaching extra lessons. I thought he was just a good friend of hers. That's all I thought it was. <laughs> you know what's coming here. It's as inevitable as Boris Johnson at a party. Not everyone was as enthusiastic about the exact nature of Thelma's care role. Other agency workers were beginning to notice some inappropriate behaviour between the carer and her client. And then quite what the true nature of that relationship was is still, I guess, a matter of speculation. Thelma described her relationship with Greg as that of a father-daughter, whereas other witnesses painted a very different picture. Two of the other carers were seeing occasions when Thelma was seen sitting on Greg's lap, cuddling him and kissing him with, hmm, how can I put this, a certain degree of enthusiasm. And there was a strong inference that there was rather more than the daughter-father affection between them. Andrea Stafford, who was a close friend of Greg, was one of those confused as to the exact nature of their relationship. She said, I couldn't understand why Greg was getting involved with her because she wasn't his type at all. I know opposites attract, but they wouldn't have anything in common to talk about because he was such an intellectual. I realized as it went along that it was a little bit more that Greg felt than just getting to know his carer really well. It was affecting his emotions and he was getting tied up in it. Greg was clearly beginning to develop feelings for Thelma and she in turn was enjoying the money and gifts that he would shower her with. She knew which buttons to press and when she complained to Greg about the difficulties that she was experiencing getting to work he gave her £1,500 to buy a car. It became quickly apparent to Greg's mate Andrea that Thelma was blatantly taking advantage of Greg. But it was also clear that Greg could not be dissuaded from his increasing infatuation with his carer. Andrea explained why this was such a difficult situation for her. She said, That's why I didn't say anything, because I didn't want to burst his bubble if he was in love with her. I hadn't actually cottoned on to the fact that he was in love with her, but other people certainly seemed to think he was. I know he was very close to her. He thought a lot about her and he bought her that car. He used to give her lots of money. He used to help her out. We used to make food for her and all sorts. Despite the obvious perks of working for Greg Baker, Thelma decided that her carer's wage was not enough to live on and she needed to look for a job with a better rate of pay. But Thelma was not ready to give up the cash gifts, and so she continued to visit Greg as a friend or a lover, rather than a carer. By 2006, the relationship between Thelma and Kelvin was breaking down. Whilst Thelma was continuing to spend a lot of time with Greg, when not at work, her son Lance was getting into trouble. It started when he got caught at school smoking cannabis, which led to him being expelled. From here, his behaviour declined, and it also led to fierce arguments between Kelvin and Thelma. It felt to Kelvin at the time that Thelma just wanted to get rid of him from her life altogether. But Thelma was nothing if not self-obsessed, and she was becoming frustrated that she could not have the material possessions that she desired. She didn't particularly want to be with Kelvin any longer, but she also knew that if they did break up, it might lead to her losing her house, which she didn't want to risk. She also knew that she might eventually get a payout from Greg, if she continued with her pretense of caring about him. But there was no way of knowing how long he might live, and so how much longer she might have to wait for that money. Faced with these issues, Thelma took the obvious step that we would all take. She asked a local criminal if they will be prepared to kill her partner, Kelvin, so she could keep the house. When they turned down this hit, Thelma brought in Plan B, which was to call the police where she accused Kelvin of domestic abuse. Of course, the police had to investigate, and it was a really tough time for Kelvin, who was arrested on more than one occasion. But these actions meant the end of her relationship with Kelvin who stayed in the property with his son. Thelma moved into a council house nearby. She'd received a cheque for £8,500 in back pay for her job, and she'd quickly spent every penny, turning her house into a show home. She continued to visit Greg, and finally, in 2007, he told her exactly what she wanted to hear. He had changed his will to make her a beneficiary along with his close friend Andrea, who we heard from earlier, it meant that in the event of his death, they would each benefit from a share of the £75,000 he had tied up in the cottage, with Thelma set to gain the majority share of around £60,000. Andrea was surprised by this news, saying, Greg told us about the will on one of the few occasions that we were both at his house. Greg actually told us both at the same time that he was so grateful to us that he wanted to thank us by leaving us something in his will. I was amazed when he said this to us. I was just blessed and amazed by his generosity. But I was also concerned about why he was giving something to her because he hadn't known her very long. Andrea's concerns were well-founded. As soon as Selma found out that the new will was drawn up, she decided she couldn't wait for the end of Greg's natural life to get her hands on his money. He needed to die sooner. However, as callous as Thelma was, she knew that she wouldn't be able to kill him herself, so she turned to the closest person to her, her son Lance, who by then was aged 19. Can you imagine that conversation over dinner? Lance, in turn, asked amongst his group of friends if anyone would be willing to kill someone for £8,000 and one of his pals, Shane Edge, also 19, immediately agreed. So it came to pass that at a family barbecue, over the burgers and warm coleslaw, Thelma and the two young men plotted how they were going to kill 61-year-old Greg Baker. Because of Greg's limited mobility and reliance on carers, he had a very specific routine, which Thelma knew inside out. Every Friday, Greg would ask his care worker to withdraw £500 from his bank account. He would sleep with the notes tucked into his pyjama top pocket and use the money to pay his carers and buy any groceries or sundries he needed that week. Greg would be helped into bed at the same time each night and rather than issue all his care workers with keys that could get lost, he simply left the door unlocked at night so care workers had easy access and close-by neighbours could reach him easily in an emergency. This made the planning, even for the intellectually challenged trio, relatively easy. On the 5th of June 2007, Thelma's 44th birthday, Greg sent one of his care workers out with some cash to buy her an expensive bottle of perfume as a gift. But little did he know that exactly the same time she was arranging where to pick up her son Lance and friend Shane to take them to Alton to kill him. As Shane lived on the same housing estate as Thelma in a the shared house, she picked him up first and then drove to Stoke City Football Club, where Lance was attending a local Football League awards ceremony. From there, the trio drove to Blythe Bridge, southeast of Stoke, then through Cheadle before arriving in Alton. From there, Thelma drove slowly past Greg's house at Gallows Gate, pointing it out to Shane. Lance had, of course, been to the property on previous occasions for mass tutoring and was more familiar with the location. Thelma parked her car a few roads away and watched the young men walk away to commit murder. The two men boldly walked straight through the unlocked door and made their way up the stairs to where Greg was sleeping. Without hesitation, Shane removed the pillow from under his head and held it over his face while sitting on his chest to expel the air from his lungs. Greg's final words were, Why are you trying to kill me? Once Shane was sure that Greg was dead, he removed the £500 from the pyjama pocket and left with the pillow under his arm. At 19, murder had come that easy to him. I wonder how he felt as he walked out of the house. Was it dread? excitement, or was he just focused on when he could get his hands on the cash from Thelma? Thelma then drove them back to her home, and here she ordered Shane to remove his trainers and top, whereupon she set fire to them, along with the pillow he had used to smother Greg in her back garden. The next morning, Greg Baker's care worker turned up at the usual time to assist him with getting out of bed and preparing breakfast. He entered through the unlocked door, seeing nothing amiss. Upon reaching the bedroom, Greg still seemed to be asleep, but after unsuccessfully trying to rouse him, the care worker realised his client had died in the night and called an ambulance. As the care agency informed their staff of the upsetting news, and word got around the close-knit village, there was a general air of sadness. But there was nothing suspicious about the death, of a severely disabled man, was there? Police were called as a matter of routine and it was quickly determined and rather than natural causes that Greg had died from asphyxiation. Once the post-mortem had confirmed the cause of death, officers began their investigation into just who would want to kill Greg. Burglary had to be the most likely reason for the crime but this was soon ruled out As the TV, stereo, and other items of value were left untouched, although the £500 was taken from his pyjamas. A local resident reported seeing a discarded jumper as a cause for concern. Upon investigation, it appeared that the local milkman had seen the jumper on the side of the road and concerned it might belong to someone who lived nearby and would be missing it, hung it on a fence post. The jumper was shown to friends of Greg who confirmed that it belonged to him, although quite why it was taken was never determined. Detectives looked at who could benefit from the death of Greg. The recently revised will gave the police two clear suspects. One of those was Greg's friend Andrea. She later said, I remember when the detectives, the police, knocked on my door to ask me about the murder. It was quite traumatic for me because I knew that Greg had told me some time ago, probably about a year before, about his will, and I knew I was a beneficiary. I didn't know what implications that would have, and obviously that's why I had to be questioned, to be eliminated from the inquiries. That was soon done, and Thelma became the prime suspect. Upon arrest, she claimed she was innocent, and had been at home all evening, on the evening that Greg was killed, and her car, the one that Greg had bought for her, had been in the driveway. It was, as we have heard, not a sophisticated or well-planned murder, and police were soon able to provide CCTV evidence of her car at various stages on its journey to Alton. It was recognisable by two distinctive stickers in the rear window. Mobile data would also confirm that Thelma's phone was in the car, as it followed exactly the same tracking. Faced with this evidence, Thelma changed her story. This time, she claimed that her son, Lance, and his friend, Shane, had asked to borrow her car so they could go and buy some drugs from a local dealer. She'd not realised her mobile phone was still in the car until she found it on her doormat the following morning and she just assumed that the two men had found it in the car and posted it through her letterbox when they returned the vehicle in the early hours. But despite her claims of innocence, the police weren't convinced, especially as she was the person who benefited most from the crime and they continued to look for evidence. We often criticise the police on this podcast, unfortunately, but on this occasion, in a spectacular piece of detective work, an officer noticed a slight scorch mark on a piece of paving stone in Thelma's garden. Upon lifting the slab, he uncovered textile thought to be part of a burnt trainer and an unidentifiable piece of material which might have been part of a feather. This was sent to an expert at the Natural History Museum in London, where not only was it confirmed to be a feather, but that of the kind found in expensive pillows. They were then able to narrow down the suppliers of feather pillows in the West Midlands and confirm that the feather belonged to the missing pillow linked to the death of Greg Baker. CCTV evidence had also shown Lance and Shane at a petrol station in the early hours of the morning spending large amounts of cash on alcohol with Shane appearing to be without shoes. Whilst the evidence against Thelma was mounting, Police received a tip-off from a local criminal well-known to them. They'd always suspected that Thelma hadn't acted alone, and the informant confirmed that she'd seen Thelma, Lance and Shane together on the night in question. Not only that, but the informant confirmed that Thelma had tried to hire her to kill her former partner, Calvin Amos. She had told the would-be assassin that the issue was all around insurance and if she died, she would get a payout. When police officers arrived at Kelvin's house and he was informed of this plan, he was quite understandably stunned. With all the evidence collated, 45-year-old Thelma Purchase, 20-year-old Lance Rudge, and 21-year-old Shane Edge were all charged with the murder of Greg Baker. At the trial, Thelma continued to plead her innocence blaming the killing on her son Lance, who declined to give evidence in court, and the shoeless celebrator Shane, who denied any involvement. All three were convicted of murder and given life sentences, with minimum terms as it 30 years for Thelma, 20 years for Shane and 18 for Lance. Following this conviction, detectives said, We are very pleased with the guilty verdict. It's what Mr Baker's family deserved. This was a very callous murder. Alton is a quiet place, and it was unusual for something like this to happen there. The crime was totally despicable. The motive was money, and the price was a person's life. Thelma purchase was calculated, and not a nice person. Although Mr Baker's quality of life was good, he depended upon other people to get him through each day was vulnerable and unable to defend himself. Thelma abused Greg's trust and friendship and tried to distance herself from his murder by involving her son and Shane. This was a cowardly, callous, contract-style killing motivated purely by greed. Thelma wasn't happy and she launched an appeal against her sentence in 2009 claiming there was an unfair disparity between the length of her sentence and that of Shane and Lance. The appeal was denied by Lord Justice Hughes, who said the sentence was richly deserved. He said, It was she who was going to take the money. The gravity of her offence was greatly increased by the manner in which she encouraged much younger people to commit murder for her profit. In 2012, Lance Rudd was back in the headlines when he was interviewed as part of Channel 4's Life as Documentary series from his cell in Garchery Prison in Leicestershire. Wearing his beloved Stoke City football shirt, he told the filmmakers, In here, you've got everything. You've got a stereo, a TV, you've got your food, three meals a day. I've got it nice. I don't want it to change. When asked what he thought life was like on the outside, he responded, Horrible. A nightmare to get a job. I wouldn't like to be out there at all now. I'd prefer to stay inside for a while and wait until it calms down. Lance was then asked how he felt when his mum tried to absolve herself of all responsibility. He said, When my mum was in court and she blamed me, I saw for myself how evil women can be. I jumped across the court thing and tried to smash her on the head. Apart from this, Lance explained that he found the entire trial to be boring. He said, I fell asleep five times. It wasn't really the best impression to make, but I couldn't help it. When I got sentenced, I almost collapsed. But now, I don't even think about it. Time flies by. So what you make of what we've heard today? Firstly, Lance, bless him, in a sense, didn't have much of a chance in life with a mum like Thelma. You hate to think what else he was exposed to growing up, which shaped him, I guess, into the person he is today. And as for the comments on prison being easy, maybe someone like Lance might feel that way. But from my experiences of people in prison, I beg to differ. I would suggest that for most people, prisons are Utterly terrifying places, especially for young inmates. And I imagine it isn't great for the underpaid prison officers who are leaving in droves after so many years of sending too many people to prison and reducing funding. That's a subject for another podcast. Is Thelma about the most stupid criminal we've covered recently? You know, I think she might be. From her cack handed recruitment of assassins to the actual carrying out of the crime itself. How could she hope to get away with this crime? And to ask her son to carry out a murder and then blame him? Well, you don't need to have children to find this attitude impossible to understand. And as for Lance's pal Shane, who it seems happily carried out the murder, it's just hard to believe, isn't it? It's almost amusing until you remember that a man was actually killed in this plot. It was real life. Greg Baker was a kind, caring man who had dealt with adversity and built a life for himself. And his only crime was to fall in love and for this, he lost his life in a terrifying fashion. Our hearts go out to his friends and his family. Thank you so much for listening to this slightly delayed episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story or any other aspect of UK True Crime, or to debate the finer points of astrophysics, please head to the UK True Crime Facebook group. And to support the show and keep me producing this podcast every week, and listen to the bonus episodes, and see all the other exclusive content, please just head to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. Okay, so that is all from me for another week. So until we speak again on Tuesday, that's Tuesday next week, please do take it easy.